एंड वेलकम टू वॉइस फॉर लोकल और मैं हूँ मानिशा सिंह कटियाल टूडे वी आर इन कॉन्वर्सेशन विद टू ब्रदर्स हुज हॉबी एंड पैशन टर्न इन टू देर प्रोफेशन एंड देर मेकिंग सम माउथ वॉटरिंग चीज वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट द स्पॉटेड का फॉर्माज एंड वी आर इन कॉन्वर्सेशन विद इट्स को फाउंडर्स प्रतीक्ष एंड अग्नय मेहरा थैंक यू सो मच प्रतीक्ष एंड अग्नय आई एम लुकिंग फॉरवर्ड टू हैविंग अ चीजी कॉन्वर्सेशन So Pratiksh you're a commercial photographer and Agne you've had a career in the media space. Yes. I read that you enjoy brewing your own beer at home Pratiksh. That's right. And the similarity of the process led to you experimenting with cheese that followed from recipes on YouTube. How was your first few batches and how did your hobby turn into a business? Okay so basically like you said I was a commercial photographer and uh, my forte was being food. and uh, that's how the whole process started i wanted to actually get into wine and that meant going either to australia or new zealand at that point and then learning for 3 years and coming back and that kind of didn't kind of pan out so then i got in touch with a couple of home brewers in bombay and uh, started brewing my own beer and beer and cheese pairings abroad are pretty big so they have a lot of varieties of beers and ales and cheeses that go pretty well with it so i said hey you know what making beer let's just get some uh cheese down and let's pair it and stuff like that because we were brewing all varieties of ales and realized the cheese coming in was basically pretty expensive and then by the time it came through the whole cold chain it wasn't the best and neither was really good quality artisanal cheese being imported in india right so i called up my aunt in the states and i said you know what i'm calling some cultures down you need to just bring it along with you so that's how the cheese process started it was just a very experimental passionate kind of thing because they all fermentation products you know beer bread and cheese so that's how it started and then first few batches were pretty okay you know it was just a lot of experimenting and things like that and couple of them really stunk you know to be honest <laughs> yeah actually we started off in a basement and uh, it at time we used to go down and mom dad also used to come and they used to be like what is this stink it's smelly and I like can imagine, it was yuck <laughs> but for us we started like liking that smell over a period of time you know you were living it every day yeah yeah we yeah. used to open the fridge sometimes and dad like what what is this man and we both are like oh yeah it's mature it's mature so it's a good thing <laughs> So yeah. we had like weird weird stenches all over the house. I can see mom dad just sitting down you know they're like okay guys you really need to be serious <laughs> about what you're doing because the house is stinking you know and there's no way to get rid of the stench. You can't do anything Mom, about it. It stays. It does right and we're like oh cool you know it's like what they call stinking cheeses and all that. And then after a little bit of R and D, I realized that there's something wrong with the batch <laughs> because <laughs> stinking cheeses actually become stinky because of a certain process and because of maturation and things like that. And this was just something wrong with it. Okay, <laughs> the whole house was stinking. So that started. That's the whole process started, and then we started doing a lot of R and D. Uh, and basically, 2014 is when I used to shoot a lot for Good Food, okay. the magazine. and they were doing a good food show at that point in time right these guys just roped me in because i used to take my cheeses to the studio to shoot and they were like wow this is amazing you need to do this and then they landed up doing that exhibition and they said we're doing an artisanal counter you have to be there so i was like dude i am not going to be there like this mm. is just a fun thing i'm doing like no way we booked your stall you have to be there Hmm. So I looked at him. I said, "Dude, I'm stuck in this. <laughs> you have to help me out because I can't produce so much. And if you have to go there and display it and sell it, that's a big thing to do, right?" So then he said, "Okay, I'll help you out." So we started producing for the exhibition. Actually, the funny part before the exhibition was so we used to still have a lot of screw ups, you know, perfecting the product. Naturally. And we signed up for it, and we knew we have like about forty five days or something, and the cheese takes about twenty one days to mature. So we started tweaking. Realized this batch is gone. Oh, then God. one more batch is gone. We both started panicking. What are we going to do? And then 
I think closer to the exhibition, then we started getting everything in order. And then we were like, okay, you know, a good sigh of relief. And that was the exhibition like we both went into with like, people are not going to know what's Brie and Camembert. I don't know what the response is going to be. After three, four hours, we had people like just coming and telling us like, wow, this is amazing. I've stayed in Switzerland all my life and this is as good as what I get there. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it was really good. And then I think that was the exhibition. After that, it both gave us like a confidence. Okay, you know, let's really do this. And I think from there on, it was just yeah. like an overnight decision. Okay, fine. Let's make this into a business. Are people now becoming more and more aware of what is artisanal cheese? I think, yeah. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Because you know what? I feel the cheese business is growing. You get a wide variety today, not just in your high-end gourmet stores, but it's pretty much available in a lot of local stores as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Take me through the process of how long does it actually take from milk to cheese? Okay, so milk to cheese, it really depends on what cheese you're making, to be honest, okay? Um, so there are certain cheeses that are made the same day and can be sold. Like we do a classic buffalo mozzarella. The milk comes in the morning, goes through the process, gets stretched, made into the soft mozzarella balls and it can be sold by the evening like how it's done in Italy. Right. And that was our concept when we launched that particular cheese. Now when it comes to, let's say, a brie or camembert, which we started with, so that goes through a whole process of maturation and, you know, where the mold grows on the cheese and then it starts softening down and it's a 21-day cycle that from the time you start till you can kind of sell it when it's got certain amount of flavor profile that's developed on it. So that's what we call a bloomy rind or a semi-soft cheese. And we also do a semi-hard cheese, which we call Tome de Bombay, okay. which is based on uh, Tome de Savoy, you know, which is a French variety of semi-hard cheese. So that we age for about three months. So from the time it's made, it goes through a maturation phase of three months and only after that you can sell it. So it's wow. got a very nice rounded flavor profile that develops and, you know, all the bacteria gets time to act on the milk right, and right. develop a flavor profile for it. But tell me something, how do you source the right kind of milk? What kind of communities do you actually engage with? Because I think the quality of the milk will also make a big difference, right? Yes. So how do you manage and make sure that the quality of the milk is up to the mark? So I think when we started, we used to go to all these nearby tabelas, okay? Hmm. So obviously, we've never been to a tabela and, you know, had that fresh milk. But now when I go to a tabela, I look at the guy's face now. I know if he's an honest guy or not. Because we've dealt with so many people. <laughs> In the starting, we used to have people putting like 50% water, 50% like regular milk. And yeah, then yeah. we found one, two people in the start who started giving us good quality milk. And I then think over the time, we kept traveling and sourcing and going to like different kind of farms and stuff. So we found people who give us really good quality milk. No adulteration, everything comes to a proper cold chain, great process. And we also have regular checks at our place. So do you have but like I, regular community of people that you engage with, yes, regular yes, suppliers? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. We don't work with anyone. So what happens is that, so because we are artisanal cheese makers, what I mean by that is that there's no processing that takes place. For example, there's no standardization. Let's say, for example, amul butter. Hmm. From the time you're born till your next seven generations, it's going to taste the same. Whether you have it, let's say, in the Northeast or you have it in the South somewhere. It's the same flavor, same thing, because they follow a standardized process to make it. With artisanal cheese, what happens is that we work with milk that will vary season to season. The cow breed varies. Yes. The feed of the cow will vary. So the milk starts varying. So almost weekly to monthly, there are variations that take place. So now it's, let's say, the monsoon. So the milk is going to change. 
So we then start altering the process of our cultures or then cheese making process and all those kind yeah. of things. So that's why if you notice there are certain European varieties of cheeses which are made only in certain seasons in Europe or with certain breeds of cows. Because that's when they're allowed to pasture and, you know, feed on fresh grass and things like that. And that's the kind of milk that they take to make that particular style of cheese. So with us, that's what happens. So if you notice, most of our cheeses, we don't flavor them or mask them with herbs, spices, unless a couple of varieties. But that also we do very classic flavors. Right. Like we'll do a truffle, which blends beautifully well with a, a brie, let's say, or fromage blanc. Correct. Um, or then we did a za'atar or roasted garlic and herbs. But those are classic flavors. But the rest of it, it's the quality of milk eventually that converts and becomes into that cheese. So that's what we pride ourselves on. That's the quality of the milk that eventually becomes the cheese. There's nothing else in between. Right. No processing, none of that stuff happens. So if the quality of milk is not good, it'll affect the cheese. It'll affect, yeah. I mean, the cheese will just taste horrible. That's right. Okay, so the one interesting question that I've been dying to ask you guys is that some of the names of your cheeses give very Bombay twist. Right. And we've got like the Bombri, we've got the Tome Bombay, what is the story behind all this? And is it a fun, conscious decision that you guys have taken? Yes, it is actually. <laughs> <laughs> the reason actually behind it was that when we started making brie and camembert, the first thing I looked at him, I said, dude, we're going to be against the French. Okay. Now you can't say that you're making brie in Bombay because the whole community is going to stand up and say, <laughs> you can't do that. Because they hold these things very dear to them. So I said, you know what? We're making brie in Bombay. Okay, so that's the local. So that's terroir, right? We're making it here with local milk, local cultures, everything here. But a European style cheese. So I said, you know what, let's take a twist on it so that no one stands up and say, you know what, this is not exactly brie and you can't make it in Bombay. Right. So we didn't want to feel like that. So we're trying to do as close as possible. But yeah, it can't be exactly that, right? So we were like, you know what, let's just, you know, take a twist on these things, but yet retain the whole Bombay thing to it. Because we're like two Bombay boys making this kind of stuff, you know. So that's how Bombay came about, Camembert came about, Tom de Bombay came about. So it was a very really fun take on these things. Plus, we felt that we're pretty young, you know, so we wanted to keep that youngness in the brand. <laughs> <laughs> that fun, funky thing. So even when we were looking at the logo for the brand, we did a lot of research and me being from a photography background, there's a little art sense that comes in. So I was looking at all the brands and, you know, you see these maidens with pails across meadows and stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> this is not us. Okay. And when I started cheese making, I had hair till my lower back. Okay. So it okay. was like long haired rocker dudes, you know, making cheese here in Bombay. That too from the basement. <laughs> so I was like, you know, that maiden with the pail definitely doesn't yeah. work for us. And we don't want to go that homemade thing also where people say, ah, ghar ka hai, you know, it's right. a homemade kind of right. thing. But we wanted to place it in between. So that's why the logos came about with the cow, with a very cowboyish cow. Correct. Yeah. Milk bottles and all that Thank kind you. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And even though cow is female, but yet, you know, giving it a whole cowboy <laughs> feel with the whole thing. So we've tried to keep that fun aspect in whatever we've done with the brand or let's say with the names of the cheeses as well. So that was the whole point of it. But you know, the funny part is that we thought people won't get it. But really, people have come no, out and said... No, it caught our eye and I'm sure it catches the eye of many people. Many, and many, it also many. gives a very local feel. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, somewhere in the subconscious mind, it's also ye apna hai. <laughs> and I think that is a big USP that for the That is pretty brand. interesting. I never thought of yeah. that, actually. <laughs> See, I've given you a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, Agne, coming to you, COVID had different impact for different people. For you guys, yeah. you were suddenly saddled with lots of cheese and no buyers. How did you handle that situation? What were some of the key learnings at that point in time when everything was blank? So when COVID hit, 
suddenly like you know everyone started cancelling their orders and no one like really expected what the lockdown is actually going to be so whatever we shut shop went home and then suddenly i think they started allowing deliveries for essentials that's right so we had a lot of cheese in our cold room you we like okay you know let's start selling it out and we started selling it out and then to be very honest i know covid has been really bad for some people but for us it was a blessing it's a blessing no it was because for a lot of brands that have told us i think being on social media having a website kind of really helped because people were at home people were wanting to discover new things everyone was like sitting and cooking and i think we got our biggest chunk of followers during covid i can imagine yeah like a huge bump yeah, we are mainly a b2b brand actually you know that we right. had a website for namesake so that people could order but we had just started the new range of cheeses and all that almost around september 2019 and by the time the new range came out you know and started settling with the b2b customers we went into lockdown so suddenly we were just looking at each other and we were like dude you know what's going on like what are we yeah, supposed to yeah. do I think part of us was pretty happy that the lockdown <laughs> happened because we needed a break. Okay, to be honest, I think we took a break only for like what twenty days, and then we were like, "Let's just start." But it was fun. I think it was like a great learning for yeah. us. It sort of transformed our business to more like retail and direct to customers. So I think that was one of the key learnings and insights yeah. that yeah. you guys did. So what other learnings were there? Because your product has a shelf life. Yes, true. Yeah, so that's you one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. Exactly, it's one of the biggest challenges, right? Because you guys have a shelf life; you have to sell at that point. Yeah. Yes. So those are, I think, challenges. Yes, the essential services were on. Yeah. But still, to sell that kind of volume. Yeah. To be yeah. able to get the supplies in, to be able to create more cheese, to be able to cater to the incoming demand. Right. Was it seamless, or was it like? It was. Yeah, it was. It was because B two B was shut down completely, right? Yes. So we started then pushing on social media, D two C, and all that. People were sitting at home and cooking, and I think it was great for us because what happened suddenly was that the cheeses we just suddenly launched, you know, at that point in time, rather than us going out and doing marketing campaigns and doing all those kind of things, we had a ready customer base because someone is calling, let's say, from Nepensi Road, and like I want X Y Z, and I'm like okay, you can place the order online, and then suddenly. I get a call from the same building, and I'm like, I'm so and so's brother-in-law, and I had your cheese, and I want it, and then suddenly that just spread out, you know, like wildfire. Suddenly. So you actually landed up building a loyal community yes, for your brand. Yes, yes, exactly. Which would have been probably far tougher very, had you just tough. been in a store with multiple yes similar brands for you to stand out. Actually, so it turned like that, right? So once the customers started having it, they didn't want to wait. Let's say for two days for delivery. So suddenly they went down to the local store, which is a gourmet store, and they told them, "Hey, you know what? Stock spotted cow." So I would get a call from the gourmet store saying, "Are you your cheese is coming? This is that is." So I said, "Low fair." So then he's like, "Ha, customer ko chahiye." I said, "Please stock." So then suddenly for me, the access to the store became open. Which otherwise I would have to go meet the store guy. He won't understand the product. He's saying, "Ha, uska aa raha hai, uska chal raha hai. I don't want to keep yours." But now when the customers telling the guy who's a very loyal customer to that store so he has no other option now than to call us and start stocking so that happened with a lot of stores all over right whether it be bangalore delhi etc you know so that so kind of like opened up the market like a woman getting clients on a daily basis you know stores and private customers so like yeah this was like a great uh, boost for us during covid so tell me something what's been your experience dealing with different retailers and restaurants and suppliers and how easy or tough has it been being a local homegrown brand 
to make a shelf space for yourself in all the large, well-established gourmet stores? I think initially, one good part of it was that, you know, a lot of these stores, you know, ask for listing fees and all. Right. And since uh, a lot of these uh, people used to come and tell them, you know, why don't you stock this? And the listing fees are some stores are really expensive. Yes. So initially, we had a lot of good stores who came to us and said, you know, Yola guys are small, making it locally. We will wear off the listing fees. Okay. So that way, I think a lot of stores are very supportive of promoting local stuff and, you know, wearing off the listing fees. So that was a really good thing. Because and I think that can become one of the biggest challenges because you're just yeah, a new startup, yes, small homegrown like, brand. You can't like uh, shell out so much money for like so many stores, each product has a listing fee and all yes. that. So I think that was a good part. Other than that, I think for hotels and all that, they were very keen to use local. Hmm. I think when we were there, I think uh, that whole make in India wave was yeah. going on. Yeah, so everyone was like, you know, use local, use local. And most of these chefs were like very happy to use our stuff because obviously it was very, very different from uh, the importer stuff they were getting. And it's like, that's all processed and other artisanal. And, you know, like for a lot of uh, chefs and all, they were like very happy because they're constantly working with distributors. And they were like, this is the first time I'm sourcing cheese and I'm actually meeting the manufacturers. Uh, There's always some distributor or something. So, you know, they could always come and talk to us make anything specific for them, tweak recipes or, you know, all those kind of things. So I think overall, everyone is damn supportive of going local. I think that's one of the biggest advantages for any homegrown local brand, be it in any field. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's true. But, you know, to be honest, this whole thing has changed around the time we started cheese making. Mm -hmm. Because up until then, no one would really support local brands at all or local homegrown producers. Because one issue was that People always felt that, you know, locally if you put it on the menu, there will not be consistency. There'll be supply issues because the attitude is not going to be right. So we always focus that if we are going to start supply, we have to be available. Right. A chef can't come back and say that, hey guys, I haven't got my cheese or whatever. And these were one of the things that they were facing. And prior to that, to be honest, most of the guys always prided themselves on the imported stuff. Yes. That, you know, hey, I'm getting X from here. I'm getting it from here. I'm getting yes. this from there. So... That was what they were really proud of. And now the whole thing changed. I think there were a lot of factors like MasterChef Australia, all these kind of shows that came about, introduced the whole local produce kind of thing. If you see the episodes also, they yes. go and meet the producers, see what they're doing, you know, how local it is. They can talk to them, get things custom made. A lot of things changed like that. And I think chefs and everyone suddenly started realizing if I'm getting it here, it's fresh. You know, there's no carbon footprint. Whenever I want, it's available. Because I think it also had to do with the fact that you could talk directly to the supplier. Yes, yes. You could talk directly to the caterer, to right. the creator. So, you know, I think it leads to a lot of collaborative work. Yes. You would also get feedback saying, you know, this worked for us, this didn't. Definitely. We got this feedback. So it helps you improve the product. Of course. And for the chef or for the restaurant, it's a huge comfort that you're a phone call away rather than some international brand, which they have to probably, you know, go through various steps to get in touch with importing the material. Right, right. I think that makes a huge difference. It does, it does. And, you know, when you start meeting different chefs, like when we used to meet a lot of expat chefs, this guy would force the purchase to buy our stuff because he's like, I will only buy local. Yes. He's saying, I've not come in from Italy only to get random stuff imported from bizarre regions in Italy, which I won't even use over there. 
getting it all the way to India and using it. He's saying, I want to use local. So a lot of mindset changed for a lot of people here as well. You know, when expats started coming in, their understanding of produce is very different. Right. They love to, let's say, forage and pick up things. And then, you know, there are a lot of Michelin star restaurants that forage and do their menus. So yes. it's, it's about local, seasonal, all those kind of things. So now, you know, a lot of things have changed. A lot of chefs have come back and are trying to recreate that here, which is, I think, amazing. Even I think, I think the more people go local, you're not just buying a product. You're actually enabling your whole community because it helps the people that you've engaged in, your suppliers, uh, I think it just provides so much work for them. At least the business grows rather than just importing something. Very so true. you're actually enabling far more people down the supply chain. Of course, of course. Than just, yes. you know, it's not about just buying that one good cheese. On that note, tell me one milestone that you guys are very excited about achieving and one milestone that you've recently achieved that you're very proud of. That's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any milestones. It's like, it's like, you just, you just like, go with the flow. Yeah, you just go with the flow. Yeah, today I, I wake up one morning, I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to start experimenting doing a cheddar today. You know, so it just goes on like that. I don't think we've benchmark or like had any milestones as such. It's like every day we just strive to, you know, get that thing going. And I think for us, maybe something that really keeps us going or we feel achieved is, you know, when we receive a random mail from a customer saying that, guys, this was fabulous. I really enjoyed it. You know, they're going out of their way to kind of do that. So I think that kind of really keeps us I going. that you know? gives you a high. Exactly, right? So because we actually are making the cheese ourselves. Yes. We are the unit every day. A lot of process happens visually, you know, by taste. There are a lot of things that go on. Like I said, it's not a processed product that's made in a lab. Right. So there are so many changes, so many things that we are constantly revamping, doing, trying to improve the recipes on a daily basis. So I think that is something that obviously gives us a high, but we are there at it. So when someone appreciates the hard work you put in, I think that is something that really gives us a, a kick to kind of go <laughs> back the next day and <laughs> make cheese again. Tell me one local homegrown brand that you would like to nominate to be a part of Voices for Local. We work with an artisanal bread maker in Delhi Okay. Hmm. Uh, called The Lazy Loaf. So she started uh, during lockdown and uh, just took off from there, man. She just started doing sardo breads and... She started getting featured and it was just like crazy. But, you know, just the thought behind it and doing great breads was the concept. Right. And that kind of just turned into a business as well for her. Lovely. So, yeah, started stocking our cheeses and then supplying in Delhi. So it was a pretty uh, cool thing that happened during lockdown. Amazing. You know, on that note, thank you so much. I have had such a pleasure chatting with both of you because two brothers getting together to make their passion into a profession. I think it's the best thing to come out of all this thank you so much so thank you for choosing to be a part thank of the you. show and wishing you all the best to all my listeners write into me with your suggestions names of brands that you would like to see get featured and connect with me on my instagram at monisha singhatyal and please do follow at voices for local on instagram to know more about your favorite local brands until next time lay your hands on some delightful and delicious cheese and check out the Spotted Cow Formage online. Happy eating and happy shopping.